This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. On the show, you'll hear from leading Australian business owners as they share the lessons they've learned building their companies. You'll learn from their successes, as well as some of the challenges they've faced along the way. We also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques you can use to improve your business. I'm your host, Savan Tuna, and I'm a director at Alexander Spencer, and I'm really passionate about helping Australian businesses succeed. Today, we are talking to Carol Fox, the founder of Carol Fox & Co. and the co-author of Confident Communication for Leaders. Known as the communication expert, Carol has helped thousands of people to be confident in their interactions at work. In the episode, we discuss confident communication and its importance in all leaders at work. You'll learn about the four various communication styles, how to improve your body language, and tips for effective communication in today's world of emails and Zoom calls. Let's jump in. Hello, Carol. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me. Very exciting to be interviewed by you, Savan. I am really excited. We've known each other for a little while. I've done your workshops before, many years ago. It actually has, I don't want to say changed my life, but I still use some of the techniques that you taught me and our team at the time. So I am excited to interview today and hopefully pass on some of those learnings that I got from those workshops. But before we go into that, tell us a little bit about your journey and how it eventually led to your business, Carol Fox and Co. My background sport. So as a young child, my family and I were swimmers and we were also involved in surf lifesaving and water polo. It's a passion. I've been an athlete and a coach and that got into sports administration, university lecturing. But it was when I was teaching at university that I realised our students weren't ready for the real world. We were giving them all the theory, and you would know that from uni. We give you all the theory in the world, but not really preparing them for interacting with other people and getting their messages across and being heard. So that was when I started my business looking into communication styles. And look, teaching the soft skills is what they used to call it, teaching people how to interact and communicate. So I still do that to this day. I have a lot of sporting clients. They're very interested because, of course, it's always a high-performance environment, as are businesses. So it's always translated really well across to business. And you are an author, keynote speaker, a business coach, and you do a lot of workshops, which is predominantly what you're doing at the moment and doing the one-on-one coaching. One of the services that you offer, and you teach a lot of different things in this space, but I want to dive deep today into the training you do for leaders in confident communication. And that really caught my eye with our pre-conversation we had and the work you do in this space. But before we start, why is confident communication for leaders so important? It's about being seen and being heard and being able to get your message across. And when you can do that, then the energy can be put somewhere else. And as business owners, we need our energy to go where we need it. How often when I'm coaching a business owners or my clients, they're telling me about what's draining their energy. And it will always be a staff member who's not doing what they're meant to be doing, a client who's being really difficult. And they put a lot of thought into how they're going to manage that. Whereas if they can build rapport really quickly and not take on other people's stuff, 
then they're going to have the energy to be able to concentrate on their business. Let's go dive deep into it. So let's go down this rabbit hole of communication. What are the different types of communication styles that people carry? What I teach about are four different ways that people experience the world. So some people will mainly experience the world by what they see, some people by what they hear. For some people, it's how they feel about things. And then there's also people who really do experience the world. They can take facts and figures only and remove the emotions. So we're a mixture of all four. Some of us, though, find that there's a preference of one or two over the others. And where that gets interesting is when we meet someone who has the other two preferences because there's characteristics linked with all of them. And often we marry them or end up being <laughs> a partner, if you've ever heard that term, opposites attract. So all fun and games. So can we go a little bit deep in that? So there's C, so you communicate by way of seeing things or visual. You're hearing or you're more inclined to be auditory. Is that sort of what that's? And then the facts and figures. Can we go a little bit deeper into each one slightly? Visual communicators, if we want to talk about how they are and how they turn up, and it's good if you can think of someone that this reminds you of for the listeners. It might be a team member. It might be a family member. But visual communicators are very, very fast. They're fast speaking. They're fast moving. At work, they'll make sure that everything looks neat. They won't. They'll complain about the mess in the kitchen. They'll have neat and tidy desk. They will be very impacted by where they are. So they need light. They don't particularly like being put into a room with no windows. If they're in an open office environment, they like to see out unless they really need to get focused because otherwise these are the people who see the shiny things. Oh, shiny thing. I'm going to go play <laughs> with that now, even on their computer screens. So they're very, very good at being the life of the party. They're very good at having big picture. So we'll find a lot of our business owners will have a version of visual in them, the capacity to think really big picture and then ideally have people who can go into the detail and get the job done. So under stress, we're talking about our customers, we're talking about our team members, even ourselves. The more stressed they are, the more command style their voice becomes so they can lose rapport. So people out there who, oh, you're a bit bossy or some people won't like the tone of your voice when you're getting very focused. And it's because visuals really focusing on where they want to go and in their world, how they sound isn't as important. So if that is, if we've got someone listening and they're going, oh gosh, that's me. <laughs> if you feel like you're getting a little bit stressed and you've got your team around you, just tell them, just say to them, hey, look, everyone, I'm totally focused. If I come across and I'm sounding a bit bossy, just let me know. But I want you to know it's not about you. It's me being focused. That'll cut you a little bit of slack. Customer service wise, if you've got a visual, when visuals are not happy, they will show you. So they will make a scene. So yeah. we label them as drama queens, you know, oh, they're being a drama queen or king again. They're not. Beautiful reframe today is that they need you to see them. Four phrases that we teach in conflict resolution, the one for visuals is I see. Hey, Carol, I see that you're not happy about this. Let's take a look. So that's really interesting. So you've used words for a visual person to say, instead of saying, I hear what you're talking about, you're actually saying, I see. Okay. And let's have a look, not let's have a listen. Okay, wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. And can we go through the other three styles and give us sort of a rundown of the differences and how that works? Well, actually, people have a pen and they're someone who likes to write things down. When we talk about conflict resolution, the four phrases, I see, I hear, I understand, and I get. 
they're what we teach in customer service or conflict resolution so that you're speaking the language of the person that's talking to you. So you're spot on. You've picked that up. As a visual, I don't want you as my accountant, Savannah, to go, oh, Carol, I hear you. It's like, no, Carol, I see what you're saying. And then I feel really validated. Now, the four phrases all mean exactly the same thing, but the person will hear them depending on what their preference is. So that leads us to the nearly the opposite to a visual is a kinesthetic communicator, the feelers of the world. So they move through the world a lot more slowly. They're slower talking, slower moving. And this is where we can sometimes have a clash where you've got someone who's really fast trying to work alongside or manage or have a customer that's very, very different to them. And we talk about in the workshops, building rapport, entering another person's model of the world. So, for example, when I'm around a kinesthetic person, I need to slow down my speech and breathe, take a break and be more like them. You can't mirror someone 100%, but it's being willing to meet them halfway. So kinesthetics, they are the feelers. They are the touches of the world. Like they need to be hands-on and ideally they're in a job where they're allowed to do that. And it's not a bad thing. Massage and chiropractic and physio, but also a manual labouring too, using their hands. They're the real doers. They, under stress, will go into their emotions. So, again, they can be judged. People will go, oh, they're crying again, or they might hold it in their body, anger, and people will judge, whereas the reframe today is that if you've got someone who's really upset, they need you to get that there's something happening. So in that case, it would be, hey, Carol, I get that something's going on for you. I'll be here if you need. Because kinesthetics need you to care. They need you to provide safety and security for them. They don't want solutions. They just want to know that you're there. They're really can be quite sensitive people. But the great news in your team is that if you've got kinesthetics in your team, they're very intuitive. So they can say something like, I've got a bad feeling about this project. I would always listen to someone saying that because it's the same as a visual saying that doesn't look right. It's the Mm. same as an auditory saying that doesn't sound right or what we call a data digital saying the figures don't add up. When a kinesthetic says, I don't feel right, again, all means the same thing. But if you don't know this, this is where we get judgments kicking in. Yeah. Our auditories, they experience the world by what they hear. Words mean a lot to them. So you'll know if you've got an auditory in your life because they'll correct you. I have one in my life. It's quite funny. They correct me and I go, same thing, and they go, it's not. So words are very, very important. They can actually think we're quite lazy with our words. They are very sensitive to tone of voice. The more stressed they are, the more sensitive they are. So they can hear stuff that the rest of us can't really hear or be aware of of course they'll like podcasts because it's their way of learning but when upset what's interesting is they do one of two things they'll either do silent treatment so they just stop talking to you and they're doing that for a couple of reasons they either can't find the words that they need to express themselves because they're very articulate or they're punishing you which is funny because when my daughter does it to me my 17 year old She doesn't talk to me. I don't even notice because she's still looking at me. So as a visual, it's like, oh, okay, she's still looking at me. And so I had to let her know. Yeah, she's still there. If you're going to give me silent treatment, you actually need to let me know that that's (laughs) happening. So now she goes, Carol, look at me. I'm not talking to you. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's so great. 
But again, if that means that she's stressed, that's a stress reaction, then I'll say, I hear you're not talking to me. When you're ready to talk, I'll be ready to listen. And any other thing your auditory customers will do if they're stressed is what we call whinge and complain. So again, beautiful reframe today. They're not whinging and complaining. They need to be heard. So now you've got your wonderful customers who we all love and adore. We've got your visual in your face going, I'm not happy, waving hands around. You've got your kinesthetics crying and upset and your auditories, what you used to call whinging and complaining. So reframe is visual needs to be seen, kinesthetic needs you to get that there's an issue and your auditories need you to hear them. Awesome. And then that leads us to our last one, which Savan, you'll know all about because yeah. you're surrounded by our data digital friend. Yeah. Data digital communicators, when they're very high in this preference, they will rely only on facts, figures and statistics. So they can actually shut down their emotions. As a customer, you won't get any reaction, any emotional reaction from them at all. And they'll just keep pinning you down on the facts, the figures, the data. And the more stressed they are, the more they rely on that and the more they close off their emotions. Data digital communicators will come across, they get judged. They get judged a lot, actually. They're only about 10% of the population that had this preference. We've got names for them, the geeks. They often get decided early on in primary school because data digital communicators are really only 10% of the population. So even at school, there wasn't a lot like them. Their visuals, we live in a visual world. So visual school's easy for them. They can find lots of people that are just like them. So data digital communicators can often be judged. Monotone voice, no gestures. People judge them as boring, uncaring, and they're not. These are the people that are willing to go into the detail that no one else wants to. Where they're great communicators is when they've got the ability, for example, in your work, the ability to go into detail, but also then to communicate it. So, for example, Jeffrey, who I love, he's great with me. He knows really high visual. He used to talk to me. I knew he could be my accountant, gosh, 20 years ago when he'd come into a room and draw a picture on a whiteboard for me and go, this is where you are, this is where you want to be, and this is how much you're spending. (laughs) And it was just like this diagram. But if he had to put a spreadsheet in front of me, wouldn't have worked. Data digital communicators are very, very important. And if they are speaking at you and, again, they're a customer and they're not happy, the phrase is, I understand. I understand what you're saying, Carol. I will have to deeper look into this or It might be, I'll need to look into the specifics. So as I said, we are a mixture of all four, but hopefully our listeners are starting to have a bit of a laugh and go, oh, (laughs) wow, that's my partner or that's me or that's that customer that takes a lot of my energy away. Because once you understand this, you stop judging. You can't judge people. Rapport is about mirroring people and what I say entering their model of the world. Sometimes in my workshops, people go, oh, so now I don't get to keep my own personality. Well, it's actually not about that. I mean, if we all walked around and didn't really care about adapting to the people in front of us, I don't think we'd get many messages across. So I actually have a question about build rapport. You've sort of started answering it. So are the strategies to build rapport and to increase the trust and engagement, really about understanding other people's communication styles, what makes them tick and so on, and then utilising the right language and what puts them into stress mode and not judging them. Is that how we build rapport? 
Yeah, I think the easiest way is just to be kind. Seriously. Be kind to yourself, be kind to other people. That takes away all the theory, doesn't it? Because if I'm being kind, I'm not judging you. And I'm in a place of acceptance and understanding. And I might not like some things that people do, but as soon as I start judging them, they know 93% of what you communicate is at a subconscious level. It's through your body language and your voice. So as soon as I judge you, you're going to know. And then that's when people get defensive. Just to go back a little bit in terms of understanding. So you learn these things. You've given us a really good deep understanding a little bit. Now all our listeners will probably go, oh, yeah, I know my partner is this now. And Is it just about learning and then picking up on these signs and going, okay, now I know he's a visual and this is how I've got to break it up? Or in a work environment, are there tests that we can make our staff do that gives out a report that says, okay, Savan is visual or kinesthetic, or is it about learning the styles and then watching and going, yep, I know Claire is this and Jack is that and so on? Yeah, I probably wouldn't even do any of that. I think it's about having an awareness of it. And then if you're really struggling with someone, go back to the theory, double check. Okay, I'm not getting on with that person. I wonder why interesting they have got a lot of characteristics of say for me it'll be a auditory because auditories don't like the tone of voice that I'll get when I'm busy so they'll be the ones if I'm going to lose rapport I mean I'm very aware of it now but if I'm really not connecting with someone I can sit back and go is this a communication problem am I not mirroring them enough or not entering their world enough or do they just not like me yeah, And if that's the case, I don't really care. I can't make people like me. I'm not going to run around and none of us should ever run around trying to make people like us. But at least with rapport, people feel like they understand you and that there's some sort of connection there. It's not about running around going, oh, they're visual or they're like the purpose of my workshops is really just to increase awareness of so people can sit there and go, oh, wow, got it now. I now know why that person, I've let that person drain my energy. And I can now go back to the original thing. Leaders in confident communication is so good because already I'm picking up on tips I can use to lead better, communicate better and drive performance. So if you're coaching a sports team or leading an organization, you'd be mad not to learn this stuff because it's about clearly communicating the goals of the company, the vision, the purpose. And yeah, this is really good stuff. And I can see why leaders really need to be aware and learn this stuff so really exciting but you touched on body language a little bit there can we dive into that it is powerful it is still communication and sometimes you can say the right things maybe but your body language could be saying something different can you expand on the importance of body language and how body language helps us deliver great communication Well, look, a lot of us know the statistics, 93% of what we communicate is at that subconscious level, 55% of that's our body language. So body language can really give force to a message, really give weight to a message that you want to get across. It's a little bit hard to explain the body language online over audio. It's really more of a visual thing. But for a lot of people, if you're someone who uses a lot of gestures and you notice that you're in a room with people who don't use any at all, visuals use gestures, audio data digitals don't, then tone your gestures right down. There's a couple, the leveller, it's something that you see a lot when you want to level people's energy down. The main thing is with body language, you get your shoulders back, 
shoulders back. Some of us remember the days we were told never answer a phone without a smile on your face because you can hear the smile through the phone. Just very important that something a lot of people are sitting, get your feet on the ground when you're talking. Now that might sound strange, but there are some people who their chair height's very high. And if your feet are not on the ground, then all of your voice starts to be at a very different pitch. And the voice of leadership or the voice that people listen to is low, slow and deep, which is very important one that I teach women in leadership because more women have the visual preference, which is fast talking, not breathing. And if they're young enough, the pitch of their voice is very high. But also if anyone, if someone's sitting and like not driving, please, but if you're sitting and you lift your feet up off the ground and you start talking, you'll notice that all of a sudden it gets very congested. Just be also be very careful when someone points at you because pointing, if they're saying a negative, it does embed what you're hearing. And it often is accompanied with a should. Should is a word. There's people out there who run around shooting all over everyone else and telling them what they should be doing. Again, if I get a point and a should, I'll put my hand up to deflect and then I'll say, thank you, I could have. And then I just walk away. So it's about not engaging in conversations like that. You talked about mirroring. I want to share a story. This must have been at least 16, 17 years ago. We did an exercise with you in your workshop. You said, okay, Savant, you're going to do dialogue with your colleague. And it was an exercise we ran. And you're going to mirror what they do. So if they're shaking their hands, you do that. And if they cross their legs, you mirror them. Halfway through the conversation, I want you to stop mirroring. And then right near the end, look away and don't look at them. And then we did this to everyone and you said we're going to get feedback and what you noticed and the person i was talking to and you only told it to the half the group first they didn't know i was coming and i stopped mirroring and eventually looked away and they stopped talking they actually stopped talking and it was amazing and as i stopped mirroring and started not to 100 percent showing my body language that i was paying attention and then eventually looked away they just stopped talking it was amazing and it was funny when i was mirroring they were so excited with the story they were telling. I vividly remember that. And in our business, I speak to lots of people. we got to sell stuff, explain things. And it was such an important lesson learned. I want to thank you for that. But Thanks. mirroring was really important. So let's talk a little bit about the current climate. So more and more is happening around video conferences, Zoom calls and MS Teams. We're on a Zoom call at the moment with this podcast. So it is a little bit different. Can you tell us sort of some of these techniques that we have that we normally would do face-to-face? How do we sort of get that out there in a video call and and what are the things that do's and don'ts and how do we get that across the line? I think the main question I've been asked about when we started going online with Zoom or video calls was a lot my clients that I had at that time we're getting exhausted, the leaders, and they're going, oh gosh, Carol, it's really hard. It's draining all my energy. And I was thinking about it. And I think what happened when we went online, it became a very visual mode and they forgot how to use what they normally use. So let me explain that. Normally, if I walked into a room, I would see what was happening, but I'm also a feeler. So, and Savan see me in action. If there's 20 people in a workshop and someone's not there's something not quite they're just not happy or there's something going on I'll feel it and I'll know that and I'll be able to talk to them at some point whereas what happened online is everyone shut down 
So they've started relying on visual. Suits of visuals doesn't suit the other three communication styles. And the other thing is how people respond in these meetings. So, for example, visuals are really easy. They do this, they shake their head, they go yes, no, even if it's a no, at least you know where you stand. Kinesthetics, we'll call it soon, but you know I mean online. They're very laid back. So they're laid back at work. You're sitting around a table, they'll be leaning back, they'll be kind of contributing, but maybe not just taking it all in. Well, this is what they do on Zoom. But like I always laugh at their backgrounds. They're in their bed or they're on a really comfy couch. It's exactly what they do at work. If They could pull a couch into the meeting room. You know, these are people who just like to be comfortable. The problem with, oh, so then you've got auditory communicators. So they're online. They don't even look at the screen half the time. Because remember, they're all about what they hear. So it's not unusual to spend the whole session with them and they're not even looking at you. Now, that can be really off-putting if you don't know why. They can come across as uninterested, but they are really interested It's so long as they can hear. And they'll be a bit like you, Savan, with the headphones on and the good microphone. Visuals, by the way, will have good lighting. They'll have a lovely curated background like the one I've got at the moment. I mean, you can see their face, how many people can, they're in the dark. And then you've got your data digital communicators. Now, this is a visual for you, Savan. You can see me. And the whole session spent like this. <laughs> Where they're just staring at the screen, nearly on pause. <laughs> <laughs> and they're going... Has their screen paused and you crack a joke and they give you nothing. And I had a team the other day, I had 10 people who are high in data digital and that's what they gave me all day. But I don't care because I know what I know and that they're not going to be animated. They're not going to give me that feedback. But the fact that they were there and had their cameras on and were asking questions meant that they were still engaged. What I'm trying to get to here is that when you turn up to your meetings, you turn up with all your senses still. So you trust whatever you normally use and that then makes it a lot more natural and takes a lot less energy for you. Yeah, that's really good advice. I have to say that the one that bugged me the most was the other ones that don't look at the screen when they talk or when I'm talking, they'll have their laptop staring at them and they're actually on their computer. And I know the camera's on at a different angle and I'll be like, man, just can you just pay attention for two seconds? Like it's really kind of off-putting, but I've learned that they're one-on-one. -on -one. It's an important meeting. They're generally clients that I'm talking to. At the end of the meeting, they're like, thank you so much, got so much out of it. So I know they were there. That's a classic example of if I'm your client and I'm auditory, I don't even need the video call. My phone call will be more than enough. In fact, the video call is quite distracting. I can't be bothered with it. You're lucky I even put my camera on yeah. because I don't need it taking the information. The other thing I do want to mention is that kinesthetic communicators and data digital communicators naturally pause before answering. What that means is that kinesthetics are checking in on how they feel and data digital communicators are making sure that their reply makes sense. Then you've got visuals who will answer pretty much straight away. We can lose rapport here because, Savannah, if I'm a pauser and you are the expert that I'm talking to and you answer straight away, I'm going to think that you didn't give it any thought at all. But it also goes the other way. If I'm your client and I ask you a question and you pause too long, my inside voice is going to be saying, well, why is he not answering? How come he's not answering yet? What's he doing? So raising this because when we want to be taken seriously, it's very important that we understand 
the power of a pause or not, depending on who we're with. Now, online, the reason I'm mentioning this is what the research is showing. A delays of 1.2 seconds made people perceive the responder as less friendly or focused. 1.2 seconds. Now, the problem with that is that 40% of the population have kinesthetic data digital first preferences and their pauses. So in real life, the pause can be like face-to-face can be a problem, but online, it's even worse. So what can you do? Well, if you're on the phone and you're a pauser, you make a noise. Okay, Carol, hang on a second. Or if you're online, you can do what's known as the thinker. And I think most people know what the thinker is. It's either think of the famous statue. So if you ask me a question and I do need to pause just by doing this, I've bought myself about five more seconds, but you also know that I've been engaged. So there's a lot just in what I've just shared there for all of you on building rapport with our customers. My last question around video calls, we've been in lockdown in Melbourne for so long where we're actually engaging. I've picked up lots of new clients and referrals and you're about to get on a call of someone you've never met. So I don't know if they're auditory. I don't know what they are. I generally put my best version of myself. I'm usually wearing a shirt and I'm ready to encounter generally a few things and watching for body language. Do we just need to adapt when we see that person for the first time and it's no different to meeting someone for the first time face-to-face? Are there any ways to quickly build rapport on someone you've never seen before on a video call? Yeah, just be kind and respectful. It's just not that hard. No, it's not, is it? And it's what you do anyway. And then if I was working with you, Svan, you know, I might think, oh, okay, I'm going to talk to this accountant and I might have in my mind what that accountant might be like and I'm interviewing you to see if I want to work with you and I'm probably expecting a data digital, which is very naughty, say it's just my stereotype. (laughs) And so I'm all prepared to have a very serious conversation and everything and then you come online and you're happy and you're smiling and I suddenly realise very quickly that you're quite visual and then I can just be myself and adapt and change. So it's mindset. I always turn up with when I'm meeting someone new online is find the best in them. And I know pretty quickly for me, I'm interviewing a potential client. I know pretty much straight away. I mean, I've got certain questions I'll ask. If we're not gelling, then I've got other coaches that I can send them to that are much more like them. It doesn't happen very often these days because I'm happy to, it's nice to have the variety. The last kind of area I want to touch on, and you do this in the leadership course in relegation to confident communication is, is the emails. And as an accountant or an office workers, we sit in front of our computers and that outlook's always on and, and emails pop up and down or pop up. Can you give us some techniques and what do you recommend for building rapport and to build trust via communication in an email or written version of yeah. that? Well, they're a great way to build rapport. People just don't know about it, unfortunately. I think a lot of listeners will be aware of they can be a terrible place sometimes, emails, and I know people who've been in email wars. It just gets worse and worse and worse. I mean, the big trick there is if you ever take a hit on an email that's been sent to you, go and pick up the phone, talk to the person, because you'll never ever solve anything via emails because people are reading that you actually never get to see how it lands so face to face I can say something and I can see how it lands and if you give me a strange look I can go hey what just happened then or I didn't mean it that way but the problem with emails is that you don't know how they're landing the greatest gift you can give yourself is to mirror emails 
How do I do that? Whatever your salutation is and whatever your sign-off is, I will mirror those. I don't judge. I don't judge people when I see them and I do not judge emails either. So if you write, g'day, hey, dear, hi, whatever, now there'll be people cringing already and I want those people who are cringing to notice that they're judging. But we've also got sign-offs, kind regards, kindest regards, regards, best, cheers, cheers. Can't tell you how many buttons that pushes for people. <laughs> again, there'll be people listening to this going, oh, I'll never do that. But this is us judging. Now, if you're my customer, I will mirror you. Why? Because I'm not going to judge you. And I know that the fastest way for me to build rapport with you is through email and through mirroring. Simply mirroring your salutation and your sign off will get you and I on the same page. I don't know if I picked this up from your workshops, but I do that now and I copy and paste their sign off and I'll copy it into mine. And sometimes I'm like, oh, that's not what I would say, but it actually works. Yeah. Does. It's not what you'd normally say. This is why we adapt and change for people. Let me give you an example. I'm a data digital. I don't even sign off. You won't even get your name in it. It'll be, please find report attached. That's what you're going to get from me because that's how I am face-to-face. Did you get the report? I'm not going to ask you how your weekend was. I'm not going to ask you what you're doing this weekend. I am at work to work. So the number one reason I end up talking about emails is because of the data digital emails. But I love it when I get an email like that, report attached. Sometimes I don't have to even go back to them. And if I do, I might report attached, please provide further information. When I write back to them, I go, please find further information as requested. Yeah. Like, it's okay. But then you have someone who goes, you know, dear Carol, I hope you're okay. Um, it was really nice to see you yesterday and please find the report attached and if you could have a look at it and see how it feels. <laughs> now, can you imagine the difference now between a data digital and a kinesthetic writing emails to each other? Yeah. And how there's judgment and there's no connection at all. You are literally talking different languages. And I don't get to see how it lands either. So you get my fluffy email and go, oh, God, Carol's fluffy and I can't even read it. But I get your data digital email and go, how rude. So the more that we're willing to mirror and step into that other person's world, then the easier it is. How do I know this? I know it because I'm still in business after all these years. And that a lot of my clients, we do probably like you, a lot of email. But by the time I meet them, they feel like they know me. That's rapport. Yeah. And we talk about build rapport. We've got a bunch of accountants, obviously, in our office. And and one of the things we talk about is building rapport with clients. And we use that word loosely. We say, oh, you got to build rapport, build rapport. But we don't educate them on what that is. And they can watch partners, if the ones that do it well, or their colleagues. But until you're kind of taught this stuff and then put it into action, you don't see the benefits. And for me, sometimes... Maybe it's that little bit of that account in me, the data digital coming out. I'll put an email in a subject line. I'll say, can you please do this for me? Blah, blah, blah. And it's all in the subject line. No, I, I can't even be bothered. about this. You're in trouble. Stop it. <laughs> but Carol, is it okay to communicate like that to people you know really well? So for example, my supervisor and my team, if I want to just quickly give a message out, I'm not audio digital, but I want to do things fast, being more that visual person. If I did that and they know we just want to move fast, would they get offended still even if they've known you not for in 10, a, not 10 years? Not in the subject line. Don't ever do that in the subject line. Stop <laughs> that. 
right now. <laughs> okay, I'll do that. If I've got to go back and find what we were talking about, I can search. No, so stop that. The subject line is purely internal, maybe project one, you know, okay. and Carol need it now. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, listen, there'll be some of you sitting there going, oh gosh, I write cheers to my friends and my team. That's cool. That's they don't cool. care. You already have the rapport. This is about when we're talking to people that we may not know. And that's why the safest email, here's my advice on emails for those of you with your customers, is that I always aim that they write the first email. So it might be that they talk to me and then I might go, oh, could you send me an email? And then I'll reply and send you back. Why? Because right from the get-go, I can then mirror their hi, hello, whatever, and I can mirror their sign-off and start to build rapport straight away. If I can't do that or I have to send a group email, then it's high in regards. It's the safest email to write. Hi, team. Hi, everyone. Hi, all. Please find the information attached. Let me know if you need anything else regards Carol. Now, you might get back to me then, Svan, and go, hey, Carol, thanks for that. Really appreciate it. Then I know I can start to build rapport that way. But the safest email is high and regards. That is such great advice. I'm going to use that technique. So if you can avoid it, get the person to send you an email so you can start to mirror them. Because if they've done your workshop and you send the email first and they mirror you, you may not actually know what their preference is. I've had teams do that. It's actually quite funny. They're always like, I'm really scared writing to you. you know, <laughs> they're worried it's going to be judged. It all comes out. Once you and I have rapport, I don't really need, need to marry you. Look, I do as a rule. I've got my email set up where I can see your email and my answers in another box and I can just mirror it. And it's just habit. That's because I'm teaching it all the time. Most people will fall back into what their preferences are. I feel like we can talk about communication all day, but unfortunately, Carol, we don't have all the time in the world. However, before I let you go, tell me a little bit about what's next for you and your business and what does the next 12 months look like? The next 12 months, I'm going to be on a plane getting to all, I've got a couple of Australia-wide clients doing all the face-to-face -face workshops that we have kept delaying. We've been very successfully able to go online and run a lot of online workshops, and I've been very happy about that. Some of my clients, because of the team-building aspect, really wanted face-to-face. -face. So currently we're booking in next year already, and it's all involving flying. So I'm actually having fun going back into the website and booking flights can't tell you how many I've had to get a refund on. I've got a very good bank account in my <laughs> Virgin Travel Bank at the moment. Lots and lots of workshops. I'm going to continue the online. And one of the reasons is that, for example, in sport, they can sometimes be Australia-wide and not necessarily afford to fly everyone in. So we'll keep our onlines going as well. And it also allows for different people to come together from different states. I thought I was actually going to retire when COVID hit. I thought... Oh, maybe it's, but I can't. I was so bored. No, so. you need to keep giving back to the business community. We need, all need to learn to communicate better. So on that note, I want to thank you so, so much for taking the time out of your day for joining me on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. This podcast was produced by accountancy firm Alexander Spencer. At Alexander Spencer, we've been helping business owners realise their goals since 1952. And we play a pivotal role in developing, implementing and supervising the business goals and strategies of our clients. To find out how we can help your business succeed, 
head to our website, alexanderspencer.com.au. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Bottom Line, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Savan Tuna, and we'll be back next episode with more tips to help you transform your business. And that's The Bottom Line.